The dinosaurs are coming. Can you resist them? They're actually robots. That's cooler. Take one of these. These are the emergency radios. Of course, no one had plugged them in, so you've got to charge it first. He's got the severed leg of a publicist. <laughs> I, lo- I love the fact that he knocks on the door and tells her the kids are missing. She's like, right, okay. And then she says, what's that? And he just goes, nothing. And it seems to work. All the power comes back on. Result. Result. Sure, nothing else can go wrong now. Hello there. Welcome to part three of Shark Live Royals Look at Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. It's the third of a five-part series, Dave. It is. Hello. I'm Matt, by the way. You, you screwed up my introduction there. I'm literally unable to operate off the script. <laughs> I was just switching this, it up. Is this, is this where I say, hello, I'm Dave? Or, I'm Dave, hello? Just or... Say hello, I'm Dave. I'm Dave, Hello. So, if you listen to us often, you will know that we uh, break these books down into a series of parts. Uh, Jurassic Park's a five-parter we're doing, and this week we're reading from a chapter called Stegosaur, um, as far as a chapter called The Park, which begins the portable generator sputtered into life. Which sounds good. Sounds like the park's still working, at least, at that stage. Certainly does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm sure everything's fine. I'm sure everything's been going perfectly all right. So that's as far as we're going anyway. Um, so Stegosaur. This, um, if you compare it to the film, this, this, this Stegosaur kind of takes the place of the Triceratops, which was sick in the film. It's basically a sick yep. Stegosaur. Um, <clears throat> oh, a little aside. Um, Stegosauruses appear in The Lost World, the next, the next film. And Steven Spielberg said he put it in because he has so many letters from kids about the first one saying, where were the Stegosauruses? Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I felt exactly that way. I remember having conversations about that on the playground. Sort of, well, why would I want to see it? There's no Stegosaurus. Stegosaurus is the one that I remember because it looks really weird and really cool and I can pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, no, no such problems in the book. The Stegosaurus is here. Uh, like I said, replaced the, the Triceratops in the film. It's very sick. Um, there's this vet with it trying to look after it. Basically, the, uh, the people on the tour... Uh, in the cars, see this animal and basically all just jump out of the cars and just go and take a look. Um, which I'm not sure is strict policy, uh, but they've not put locks <laughs> on doors. Is it, can we say there's policy in a situation like this? <laughs> yeah. Is it is sort of like, you know, do they do they get a health and safety briefing on the on the plane on the way over? <laughs> like, now, you may be tempted to get out of the cars and look at the dinosaurs. Don't. <laughs> I can't stress this enough. Do not get out and have a quick shifty at the dinosaurs. Yeah. Could get out of hand quicker than you think. I suppose this is the VIP tour, so if they want to go and have a closer look, they're allowed to. Um, but there's this very sick dinosaur. Um, it gets really sick every six weeks, apparently, the stegosaurs. And the vet, Dr. Harding's with them. Um, there's this very quick mystery which sort of pops up and is solved very quickly by Ellie and Alan. Um and it's that the stegosaurs get sick every six weeks. They can't work out why. Um, there are some toxic plants nearby, but it's obvious the animals aren't eating them. So what's happening? And it turns out that uh, the, <laughs> the dinosaurs use gizzard stones. So they, they eat 
basically swallow rocks and use the rocks to grind up food in the stomach and then like sick them up again like a cat would do a furball. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and that is what's is that the happened. scientific word for it, is it? Yeah, sick them up. And uh, <laughs> but that's what's happened. And uh, they work it yeah. out pretty quickly. Um, and it was basically because I see all these smooth rocks and they realise they're nowhere near the beach. And uh, it's funny because in the film they don't solve it and it's quite nice to have a little bit of closure as to what on earth happened there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you actually, I realise that this is the thing that tells you exactly what I was like when I was nine or whatever it was when I first saw the movie and read the book. But I actually really loved this. Hmm. I love that they bothered, in the movie as well, that, you know, you know, supposed to be a big popcorn blockbuster, no time for science. And they do this little detective story bit. Hmm. And I, I think it's a testament to Steven Spielberg's genius that he manages to make it not boring. Hmm. But nonetheless, I just love that they do this. Like, hmm. your proper scientific method. You know, with all of this mad scientific fiction kind of stuff knocking around it. I love that they actually get into this and mm. they solve it using facts. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Gennaro's um, playing a bit of uh, baseball or throwing the baseball to Lex, who's got a mitt, and um, she throws it back at him too hard. Bear in mind, it's a nine-year-old girl. She throws it at him too hard. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, remember, I've not got a glove, and she sort of laughs at him. And he, he loses his temper and absolutely fizzes it back at her. And she just catches it and it's like, yeah, that's more like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's a missed opportunity there not to be inside Gennaro's head at that moment. <laughs> oh, thought Gennaro, clearly I'm not a man at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just love that Like this is his, he's really angry. He's going to send it back with no thought for consequence. And she's like, yeah, nicely done. Bit more of that, please. <laughs> Yeah, um, while he's losing his temper as well, he's also talking to Malcolm. Um, always a good character to talk to if you're struggling to control your temper. Um, and <laughs> this is this is the moment where Malcolm does his famous line from the film, where he says, "Life finds a way." He's further elaborating on his prediction about complex systems inherently unpredictable. Oh, what a, um, what a great line! Yeah, it, it, I also quite like how he he likens something like trying to predict the weather to um, he says, like, future generations will look back on us trying to do that in the same way we look back on alchemists trying to turn lead into gold. You just can't do it. Um, interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did like that. And obviously, big theme of the book in it, you mm. know, uh, the hubris of people who reckon they're using science to do one thing and actually they're using it to do something else entirely. Mm. And the end of this chapter, they, um, they find a, a fragment of an eggshell, which uh, Grant believes is a raptor egg and is possible... Well, would will be proof that the rap, that the animals are breeding if it is what he uh, thinks it is. Dun 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 dun. Yeah. Somebody Surely not, though, Matt. Surely not. They've yeah. they've they've gone out into the park and you know lifted up the dinosaur skirts. They've made <laughs> sure. They've they've done what's necessary. Well, someone who agrees with that point of view, we've got to control, and Hammond just says, absurd. <laughs> it can't happen. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> um, for for one. <laughs> For one, they count all the animals, and they, it always shows that you know the right number. Mm-hmm. And this is where yeah. they uh, they work out what's gone wrong with this system with the help of Malcolm, particularly. Um, in that, the the reason it's counts it, the reason the correct number of animals are showing up is because they're only searching for that many. So they raise the 
search criteria to more animals and they start finding more and it's because the whole system was set up to to sort of alert you if the population drops because it means an animal's got out not if the population increases and it's for nedry sort of shouts over when they say it's it's another bug and he says it's it's not a bug it's a convenience it's it's why it's built into the system to speed up the counting process I really love this, and I'm surprised to find myself sympathising with Nedry so much. But um, and there is a moment a little bit later on, which I think shows that he's not entirely, you know, he he is more sinning than sinned against. But at this moment, when they're like, when when they're like, oh, that's a huge, massive problem. I do not blame him hmm. for going. No, it's not. It's what you fucking asked for. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. just this whole. You know, I realise that Jurassic Park isn't supposed to be a parable about poor project management techniques, and maybe this says he tells you more about my work than uh, than anything else. But I just find it really interesting that this has been so fucked from every conceivable direction. Mm. Uh, what are you doing, lowballing the guy who's going to fix it, and then giving him three days to fix it, and then telling him that there are more problems that you actually told him to put in there in the first place? Yeah. It's like it's a masterpiece. Let me tell you, freelancers sit in bars and exchange stories like this about <laughs> clients like this. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it, again. It's, it's Nedry can also make the point. You know, he, 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 you remember again how he he was completely working in the dark with it. They wouldn't tell him what these systems were for. So of course there are going to be loads of problems. And this is a, a nice example. But I love this. It's a really neat idea of how um, you can set up what looks like a watertight system, but if you just haven't considered one factor, it just blows the whole thing open. Uh, chaos theory, Matt. Eh? Well, there you hey? go. Um, yeah. And Did you do that on purpose, or were you just sort of getting into it and then realised it's the perfect explanation of chaos theory? I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it is, actually, because I think the point of chaos theory is it isn't you just forgot a variable. It's even if you know all the variables, they won't always um, develop in the same way, so they're, inherent, they're more unstable than you expect. Well, but I would say that in that context, the human error is one of the variables that scientists almost always forget to take into account. I like that, yeah. yeah. A, A, <laughs> bang! Speaking of variables, um, they, they're trying to work out how these animals survive without food, especially, uh, it turns out the raptors have been, um, have been breeding, and they had a problem <laughs> with field mice and rats at the start of the project, and it kind of solved itself and nobody thought to ask why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on one hand, you do understand that, right? Big, complicated project. You know, mm. some things are going to get overlooked. But I wonder if they did ever actually have the conversation. It's like, do you remember we used to have loads of rats? Yeah. yeah. Where did they go? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I'm just happy they went away. I just, you know, whatever, you know, that's fine. Do you reckon they might have been eaten by, you know, the, the many dinosaurs? Well, we haven't made that many, have we? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, no, they must have just left. They must have just all got on the ship one day in a remarkably well-coordinated act of rodent abandonment. Yeah. Uh, there's also, um, I mean, so, so the, the final total is 238 expected animals, 292 found. So there's obviously a serious Ooh. miscalculation. For, for, uh, not all of them are breeding, obviously, just, just, uh, just a, a small number, four, four species. Uh, Hipsies, is it myosaurs, the cumpies, and the raptors? So. Um, and when the raptors are mentioned, Muldoon, I love this, Muldoon just goes, just, just swears. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love this bit because it, it again, 
science geek i know this is this is turning into dave's den of geek hmm. but this is absolutely true i do love this for making a statistical table into a dramatic moment in the book yeah <laughs> like it turns it into this moment where you're like oh which ones have gone up which ones have gone oh the hip hipsies are right there all right and the myosaurs are oh, fine. The, the raptors! <laughs> fucking hell! There's 35 more raptors than there should be! <laughs> Shit's gonna get real! Yeah. Did you do that? I'm interested. Did you do that? Or did you just kind of sk- like skip the table and read on to the. be told it in the text? No, I remember when I first read it looking very carefully to see what the extra dinosaurs were. Yeah, I find oh, this bit fascinating. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah. I quite like it, Hammond as well. I mean, this, this is, comes a recurring theme in this part of the book we're reading. As things go south, He's constantly trying to say it's not that bad, and this time he says, "Oh, it's just a four species." <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's this—it's the management uh, management instinct to sort of minimise all the problems. Mm. Oh, there's only four of them. Yeah, no, it's no, it's fine. <laughs> no, we've been playing with untold genetic power. You know, basically akin to gods, and we let it get away from us a bit. But <laughs> only with four, four yeah. possibly very dangerous species. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> uh, we we'll move on to breeding sites. This is a, basically a continuation of the uh, of this part. Um, they're tr- trying to work out how they haven't noticed all these raptors around, and it turns out no one's been watching the park at night. Um, they're just sort of all locked down tight and and go to bed, and no one is keeping an eye out on what's going on after dark. So that could be one explanation. Also, we've got the rat population. <laughs> dropping as we as we've talked about and yeah. grant says uh the uh if you look in the DNA, you know he says the answer to how they've started to breed might be in frog dna and he tells henry Wu to go and check that out because he thinks that might that might hold the key um then this there's this storm coming in so they decide to make their way back everybody on the tour decides to go back apart from ellie who wants to stay with dr harding to continue the work on the stegosaur and Gennaro, who doesn't appear to have a reason to stay, except for when, as they as they walking back, um, Malcolm's like, "Why is the lawyer staying?" And uh, <laughs> Grant's like, "It might be something to do with Ellie <laughs> and her shorts." <laughs> <laughs> I love how matter of fact he is about that. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, all of them are idiots around her. <laughs> all of them." It's, there's something about Mary with a PhD is basically what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it could have been a funny film with Cameron Diaz as that role, wouldn't it? Oh, God, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I'm so happy they hired Laura Dern for that role instead of Cameron Diaz. <laughs> but um, I love the fact that um, this uh, sudden display of red-blooded male from Gennaro is kind of what saves his life in terms of the two developing sort of parallel realities as film and book Jurassic Park because <laughs> the the version of Gennaro which is just the Weasley lawyer who doesn't seem to have a great deal of uh, leching interest in Ellie's legs ends up getting eaten on the toilet so it's sort of done Gennaro it, so a favour here <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying that the film careful don't is... put words in my mouth and yet Matt you've put them there and demanded it are you saying that the film is less feminist than the book because the the film punishes somebody for not being a lecherous wanker 
Is that is that what you're saying? Because it sounds like that's what you're saying. I'm saying it's a, uh, I don't know, unintended, conse- <laughs> unintended consequence of Gennaro's uh, lechiness uh, that it's actually <laughs> saved his life. Oh dear. Yeah, it's also fortunate for him that there's there's the everybody's favourite Mick Hucknall lookalike Ed Regis <laughs> there to there to take the strain in terms of in terms of wandering around the park inadvisably, but we'll we'll get to it. Yeah, I do think actually, just in terms of the mechanics of the book, something I've noticed this time and and never before. Um, Gennaro decides to head back here, and it, in the little scenes we have with Harding and Sattler in the car later on. He hardly says. Mm. He hardly get a peep out of him. I mean, he's probably just sort of mm. just mesmerised by Ellie's legs. But um, <laughs> but uh, and and then suddenly he's sort of back on the road with Muldoon later on. Yeah. And yeah. I just wonder if uh, it it was a redraft and he was sort of on the tour originally. And Crichton's like, yeah. I need to sort of shift these characters around a bit because it feels like he just sort of drops out and comes and appears again in the story. That's true. Yeah, actually, that is true. That's interesting. Um, which, so we, yeah. we've caught Michael Crichton uh, failing to edit himself well in one of the most successful novels of the 20th century. Uh, yeah, well, I think it is edited. You, you kind of have to, you have to sort of read into it what you will because you know it still makes sense. It's not like they don't put that he's staying there and suddenly he just doesn't appear to be anywhere and he's back again. But um, it just felt like a little bit of a convenience just to get him away, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're on the way back. Uh, Ed Regis is hankering after a banana daiquiri. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can so hear him as well, can't you? Smarmy yeah. PR voice, which now I hear in a Mick Hucknall soprano, but still <laughs> smarmy kind of, what do you say, folks? Daiquiri sound good? You know, that sort of just, just, just smarmy as all fuck. Yeah, and I love that. That's that's the, that's the drink he's after as well. You know, yeah, this this man of PR. He's carefully put together an image for himself that involves immaculately polished slacks, <laughs> and you know the full PR professional package. And then he's like, I like daiquiris. Daiquiris are what I'm going to drink. <laughs> yeah. So they, they they head back towards the land of banana daiquiris, uh, which is the visitor centre, <laughs> aka <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yeah. And um, as, as they're sort of on the way back, Grant and, uh, and Malcolm are sitting in the car, and Malcolm's really subdued, and Grant's asking why. And Malcolm says he thinks this is the most dangerous stage, and he talks about fractals um, and how things speed up very quickly. Um, basically, he says that how life isn't sort of a... Viewing life as sort of a linear process is artificial, and it's just a series of events and that, that massively change what happens to you without any uh, sort of without any expectation so it's life's far more chaotic than we sort of want to believe uh and he says that's the same about big systems and small systems um and various other things like that another interesting little bit of theory interrupted by the fact that a lot of that the kids see um a couple of dinosaurs on the boat that's leaving because they're arsing around with those night vision goggles and they see that there's a couple of raptors on the boat as it's setting out towards the mainland. <laughs> now, for you, did this did this confuse or did this kind of was this a moment for you? Because for me, having seen the film first, this bit was great. I was like, 
oh no you didn't ah <laughs> uh, like it, having expected it you just go broadly in line with the with the movie you know give or take a Mick Hucknall lookalike here and there yeah then there's a bit where it's it's suddenly the whole book becomes this race against time to prevent this ship full of raptors hmm. from reaching the shore. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. And they didn't even really do that in The Lost World when they did the ship going to the shore that has dinosaurs on it, right? Um, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they didn't even really do that in, in that book properly in that film properly mm-hmm. and i loved this because then i now from now on i'm like i don't know what happens what happens mm. uh, yeah it is it, it has another another sort of something they're up against the clock now and they've got to get back haven't they as well which yeah you're right it gives it an extra layer that the film doesn't have um just, yeah. a, just a very interesting little aside for that you say that the, this didn't happen in the second film apparently mm. it's implied that it kind of did in the second film in that um do you know, there's always these questions. One of the big questions about the second film is that the sort of, when the boat comes back to the mainland, this is this is digressing a bit, but we'll go very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The Rex is contained in this chamber and every, yeah. and everyone's dead. And like yeah. people have died in places where a Tyrannosaur couldn't possibly get in. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and like with the, with the power of his mind, yeah. a psychic T-Rex. Yeah, and apparently the explanation is that a couple of raptors got onto the boat. But, it, I mean, it feels like an excuse, to be honest. <laughs> That's an extraordinary... Nah, it's just a plot hole. But the, yeah. the Lost World, the film, is fucking full of them. Where mm. does Vince Vaughn go in that movie? <laughs> he turns up, he cracks wise, he takes a few photos, and then when the time's come to leave the island, he's not even on the fucking helicopter. What's he done? Disapparated? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Like, but, it, it is as if, at the start of that sequence, Steven Spielberg went, oh, oh got to go and collect another Oscar. <laughs> what do you mean, script? Uh, fuck it, I don't know, dinosaur, <laughs> boat, make it yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, there's more to say about that as well, but I'll, we'll save it for when we actually do the film. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, it does feel at this point, doesn't it, that um, the sort of, the the rain's really coming down now. The storm's coming in. They they can't con- they can't communicate with the control room because it's, the storm's messing around with the radios. Uh, it feels like we're at the top of the roller coaster now, doesn't it? And it's just going over the edge because it's uh, it's all <laughs> set up now, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's all on. Yeah, back in the control room, uh, Nedry has uh, downed all the phone lines and says he's just popping out for a minute. Seems legit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, in the movie they do that so well don't they with that shifty babbling kind of and I, I was just going to get something sweet and I don't know, I'm just said something salty I, uh, I, I changed the, the phones I said I was going to change it so I changed the phones you know? like that, that whole babbling thing is really great but I do think it was a missed opportunity to play it for laughs because as you know I do love playing it for laughs so I love the idea of him getting up and, and just kind of exaggeratedly nonchalantly walking towards the door well <laughs> finished all of my work early as per anyway I'm just going to step outside really quick my screensaver is quite slow so if you want to check on my work that's fine but it'll probably take about five minutes just going to go and stretch the old legaroos <laughs> Yeah. Um, as soon as Nedry exits stage left, uh, the lights go out across the island and the land cruisers stop uh, on the tour. 
and suddenly like everyone in the control room there's just this giant WTF sign comes up above the control room if you're in the comic book <laughs> because the, uh, the the power now is only working in the building everywhere else it's out um, and they're trying to work out why uh, at this point Nedry's on the run um, it, t- it turns out he's built a sort of programming trapdoor into the system basically so he can control he can get around the the sort of the system security if he needs to basically as a bit of uh, insurance for him when he built it he says this happens all the time with uh, programmers so worth remembering <laughs> if you use any complex systems yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now this whole bit the whole kind of process which starts here of the kind of digital detective work of trying to work out what the fuck Nedry's done to this extraordinarily complicated thing is, I would like to suggest, one of the most underappreciated comic sequences in the history of English literature. Because it's just fuck up after fuck up. (laughs) Starting with the fact that they got this one guy, gave him all of the power over the system, overworked him, underpaid him, slagged him off to his clients... And, yeah. and then and <laughs> and then put him put him in a position where he was the only person who was really able to steal their billions of dollars worth of research. Yeah, yeah. It's just the fucking stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. Do you not know, think it's a, it's it's a very sort of true example of uh, how non-technical people don't understand systems as well, in how this kind of thing just would never occur to someone like Hammond. Yeah, that's true. Oh, why would it be a problem? I'm paying him. He works for me. He's my bitch. He'll do what I say. Oh. Well, and, oh. and also the very idea of him building in a way of getting around the system. It would be like, no, that's the system's the system. So what do you mean you can do? You know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's like people who don't quite get the internet still and how things work. You know, not knowing how things like that work mean you can under underappreciate the uh, instabilities and the insecurities around it. Um. Because, especially if, if it's such an unknown field, and all, I suppose the whole, all the technology in this book is all sort of unknown fields, isn't it? Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, away goes Nedry. He hops in the gas jeep. He's got a three-minute journey to the dock to drop off the embryo. Oh, we forgot about this. This is this is uh, really cool, isn't it? He goes in and nicks all the embryos, um, <laughs> and pulls up these big. Um, I mean, it's, it's a great visual in the film as well. Pulls up these big cylinders. And removes, yeah. and removes all of them out of it from this uh, refrigerator. And, um, yeah, so he's got a three-minute drive to the dock, three minutes back, and, it's, and he says, piece of cake. Couldn't be easier. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong, Dennis? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, back in the control room, they're just realising that all the security systems are now down and all the fences are off. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, looking back on Nedry's, uh, you know, catalogue of errors as he tries to put this plan into place, linking both the security fences and the the security system and the park fences may have been something he could have avoided when he built the system. <laughs> yeah, you sort of want to be able to turn on and off the locks for the humans without turning on and off the locks for the dinosaurs at the same time. And- also, is it difficult to put a different switch on each different paddock? Is that something that's hard to do? Were they economising that day? Yeah. I sup- I, I, you I, know I, what? Don't worry about buying two of them. Or even six of them. No, just have one one switch for everybody. Yeah. yeah. In and out. 
Call it in and out. I, I wonder if it's because he needs obviously he needs access to a load of roads on the like security roads on the island, which are which are through electrified fences, and he just uh. think he just thinks to cover his tr- if, if he if he just shuts off the bits he needs, then if anyone mm. looks back through the history, they can see a trail. If you just shut everything off for five minutes and everything back on again, chances are nothing's going to get out because it's five minutes and the dinosaurs, as we, uh, as Muldoon make points out in a bit, have been sort of trained in terms of they've been shocked by the fences a few times in sort of Pavlovian way. They're probably yeah, not going to go yeah. near them, especially not in the space of five minutes. So I can yeah. see, I suppose, in one weird way how it could make sense to Nedry to think, well, rather than leaving a trail, I'll just shut everything off and switch it all back on again. And it'll just look like some massive power outage. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's plausible. Um, although, I, I've got to tell you, actually, I think the idea of the only access roads to crucial pieces of the island being through the bits where the animals are isn't terribly plausible. I'm not sure it's through the... I just think it's, the, it's just electrified fences. To keep, just to keep anyone out, I don't. Oh think, I don't, right. Although although <laughs> although that would um I don't know because uh, he ends up in a diet because because he later on I mean we'll get onto it but later on he gets out the car doesn't he and go for a wander around to work out where the hell he is and you wouldn't imagine he'd do that if he was aware that it was in a dinosaur <laughs> enclosure. <laughs> um, so yeah yeah weird isn't it. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's let's try and do it in order. So um, they've realised the fences are off. Uh, Muldoon decides to get out on a rescue mission to pick up the uh, the people who are stranded in the cruisers. Runs down to the garage to hop in the jeep, and realises both the jeep and the rocket launcher that he'd thrown in the back of it have disappeared. So the WTF sign now sort of moves to the garage. <laughs> <laughs> Which is which is which is followed quite beautifully by Malcolm's fourth iteration, which uses the words "instabilities begin to appear." <laughs> I don't, that whole like Ian Malcolm's mathematician work as Greek chorus. I just think he's completely fantastic in this because it's so understated. Mm. Instabilities start to appear, which can be translated as the Tyrannosaurus Rex is about to go fucking ape shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of, we get to the main road. Tim's uh, using the night vision goggles to have a look around. The classic sort of scene from the film, isn't it? That uh, just to see if he can see anything in the in the rain. They've stopped outside the Tyrannosaur paddock, and he hopes to see the animal, and hopefully, he'll have gr- glowing green eyes. Which you know, good news and bad news later. The good news, he does have glowing green eyes. Uh, the bad news, <laughs> we, we will see. Um, <laughs> I like how Ed Regis is getting really irritable. He's sitting in the car. He's stuck with these two kids in the back car again. And um, Grant radios over and says, stay in the car. And Reggie sort of chunters. He's like, well, I've thrown it in the rain. Of course we're going to stay in the car. <laughs> Where are we going to go? <laughs> um, suddenly an animal runs past the cars, but no one can see quite what it is. This is all about sort of building the tension, isn't it? It's really, really well written, this, because it yeah. goes up a notch and a notch and a notch and it's just uh it's really well realized yeah um, yeah there's thunder and it's, it's so successful as well because it manages to make it tense even when you know that at the end of all this tension there will be dinosaurs yeah like it's i mean because you know there's going to be dinosaurs but there's no there's no question about what's going to happen there's just a question about when and it's so tense yeah um tim 
eventually sees the Tyrannosaur and it's just standing on the other side of the fence just watching the cars. Like, it's really still. <laughs> it's like, whoa. And I love that. That's really creepy. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah, you're absolutely, that is very cool. And creepy isn't something that, that Michael Crichton does very often. When he does it, he does it really well. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, just the idea. <laughs> I just have this wonderful image of the T-Rex standing there just completely silent looking at the car like, you fucking what? <laughs> You you fucking what? Yeah, or even better, like like real kind of like bampot mental kind of bloke down the pub. He has three pints and then starts smashing people. Yeah, or even better than that, um, Robert De Niro in uh, in Taxi Driver. You talking to me? You talking to me? I don't see anybody. You're talking to me. <laughs> yeah. So um, now at this point, they see that the T Rex is gripping the fence, and they suddenly realise, oh, the fences are down. At this point. Ed Reggie is, is in his own head is writing the sort of press release of the most fearsome oh. horrific <laughs> animal attack anyone's ever known. <laughs> and literally, he's, he's he's really interesting the way over the next few chapters, like all of these characters default to sort of um, to to like what they do best in order to deal with the stress of what's happening to them. Yeah. So there's a bit a bit later on where Gennaro's doing something really horrifying, but he kind of gets lost in the minutiae of it, and, and it, it kind of helps him, yeah. and he manages to chill out as a result. And and this is exactly the same. Regis is clearly most comfortable while spouting bullshit. So he just starts <laughs> spouting bullshit in his brain. Mm. You can almost imagine him turning around to people in the car and going, guys, this is the most extraordinary thing ever seen. <laughs> you know, and just taking refuge in hype. Yeah, um, th- this only serves as a bit of a downward spiral for his panic, doesn't it? I um, mean, he literally pisses himself as he's as he's thinking about <laughs> it. I mean, the thing is, um, this the point he sort of he thinks about here. He's the only person in these two cars who's seen what happens when a dinosaur attacks you. I mean, you can probably have a good idea anyway, but mm. I-, I think academically knowing what it'd be like and seeing the results of a raptor attack, for example, is um, yeah. two different things. Um, his panic overwhelms him, and he promptly uh, decides not to heed uh, Alan Grant's advice, which he was just taking the mick out of one page ago, and he just makes a run for it, and uh, just basically opens the door, runs out into the storm, and leaves, uh, and which, which obviously kicks off all manner of commotion in the car. Lex starts screaming and panicking, because he's just, you know, the adults just Fucked run off. away, and she's nine. Um, yeah. And then the this is the point where the Rex obviously sees a bit of, sees him making a break for it, and tramples down the fence as Tim jumps out and shuts the door and jumps back in. So he's out. The dinosaur's out, and it's uh, it starts having a look at both sides of the car where the door's shut to see what's what's going on. You know, uh, pretty pretty quickly decides right it's time to it's time to double down and attack the car. So it's uh, the, the 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 Rex attacks the car. Do you imagine T Rex is saying it's time to double down? <laughs> yeah, but like I mean, high rolling corporate gamblers in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Guys, let's double down on this. <laughs> um, so we so, so the Tyrannosaur uh, comes out, looks at the two sort of doors, attacks the car. I mean, it's a violent and horrific attack, isn't it? Uh, Lex gets. Uh, uh, she gets really injured in it, doesn't she? Her whole head starts to bleed and she sort of gets knocked out yeah. on the floor. 
the windshield yeah. the windshield gets gets smashed. Uh, Tim nearly gets eaten, but the the T Rex can't get its head through the through the gap in the windshield, uh, which mm. basically saves his life. And then uh, the Tyrannosaur picks the car up and shakes it and throws it, and Lex falls out, and Tim's still in the car. And it sort of it's a cut to black as uh, as the car lands oh. with Tim inside, and you think, shit, okay, a little yeah. boy's just died. Yeah. And the thing is that, given what's happened to this point in the book, you're a bit like, would he do that? Yeah. Would he do that? And it's actually this is a a, a far more bearable version of the massive confusion we had last time out doing um, Game of Thrones and trying to compare a feast for crows with. Um, with the TV series, because you sort of, you kind of don't know whether you know what the film does, but are you reading a book written by a complete bastard who would kill off a child? Now, <laughs> obviously, if it's a George Martin book, that question is answered. Of course he <laughs> fucking would. He would do it and laugh. But is Michael Crichton that guy? And I bet it could be. Could, could be. be. Well, it could get even worse as well, because um, Malcolm and Grant were in the other car trying to work out what on earth's happened, and they hear Lex screaming while she's out on the ground and then the Tyrannosaur sort of bending down and then that screaming stops so again it's, it's sort of you think right okay so two children may have died yeah. um, which I suppose would I mean you say it would be horrific but would also it would have been interesting to sort of in terms of what it would have done to Hammond um, you know he's just brought these two kids to the island and they've just basically both been killed uh, but we'll we'll see what happens there um, and then the Re- Rex sort of turns around and advances on the second car and it's a great moment sort of Malcolm fairly calmly says um, have you got any idea what we should do at this stage and Grant's like no so, he, so Malcolm just <laughs> I think it's he twists the handle kicks open the door and ran <laughs> <laughs> but you can imagine him just sort of really calmly taking the news can't you he's like you know what we should do now I haven't got a clue. <laughs> all right, all right. About <laughs> 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 <Bad> that time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the Rex chases after Malcolm. Grant jumps out of the car, just as it looks like the Rex gets Malcolm as well. Um, he's thrown through the air, uh, and it turns yeah. back to go for Grant. And Grant sort of freezes in fear. And yeah. there's this weird little moment where it appears that the Tyrannosaur almost loses sight of him because he's stood still. And it's this idea that the the, pre- the vision of a predator like that is based on movement rather than anything else. Don't um, move. <laughs> they can't yeah. see you if you don't move. Yeah, Love that. Yeah, Love exactly. That. Great, great, great scene in the film. Um, but the Rex, it turns out the Rex doesn't need to see him because he just... He seems to just kick him, or he kicks the car, and the car smashes into Grant. But Grant ends up flying through the air either way, and the ground rushes up to smack him in the face. And we're left at the end of this chapter with a very strong possibility that every one of these people in the cars, with the possible exception of Ed Regis, is is dead. Yeah, and and again, you know, the the, the parallel must be drawn. With with George Martin here, <laughs> yeah. who would gleefully kill off every one of your favourite characters a third of the way through a novel and just have you fucking deal with it. Yeah. Um, although that day, if all of these characters who appeared to have died had actually died, who, who does that leave you with as the hero? Ellie. Is it 
Yeah, Ellie, it'd be Ellie, wouldn't it? Because it wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't be Gennaro frigging eyes out on Stork's Gennaro. <laughs> Un- <laughs> unlikely to be Nedry, you'd have to say, and and Hammond, who has just shown himself so far to be, you know, a, a fairly run-of-the-mill, dissembling wanker capitalist, is shortly to cover himself in no amount of infamy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it would have to be Ellie, wouldn't it? Actually, I would pay to watch that film. Yeah, yeah. Ellie Sattler thought she'd escaped Isla Nublar forever. <laughs> yeah. I'd pay money for that. Oh, you, you could write it around Gennaro. Don't be a player hater. It's just... Uh, <laughs> you know what? You know what? I reserve my right to hate both the player and the fucking game. <laughs> anyway, let's... No, but, but it is, I mean... Either way, it's a really great, tense cliffhanger, isn't it? Because any of them, you get the feeling at least one of them, or maybe more, won't have survived hmm. that encounter. But we'll see. Mm. Um, Return is next. As we, we, We're back with the other group, the people lucky enough not to go back in the Land Cruisers. So it's Dr. Harding, Ellie, and Gennaro. Uh, just about Gennaro. It doesn't seem to do much here, as we said. <laughs> um, they're on the way back to the main road, and it turns out a tree's blocking the way from the storm. So they've got to take the sort of slow access road instead, which is another half an hour, 40 minutes. Uh, and so they sort of trundle off on the making their leisurely way back. It's interesting to point out, they have no idea anything's gone wrong at the moment, have they? Other than the fact there's been a bit of problem with the power. Um, they're still thinking... That's true. Almost all of my kind of... All the mockery I want to hand out to them is is pretty much unwarranted at this point yeah. it's just because i know what's going to happen yeah there's a great moment later on when arnold sort of <laughs> lays it on them um but we'll come to that uh so we're back in the control <laughs> room as well um there's still no sign of nedry arnold is is sort of pulling his hair out at this point um <laughs> i quite like how arnold's fear and um like frustration manifests itself in like really biting uh, insults and he says like about, <laughs> about Nedry um, he's, he's asking them to, he's asking the guards to find him and they're like Nedry he's the he's the fat man isn't he sir and he's like yeah he's fat he's, he's a fat bastard he's probably, he's probably on the toilet reading the comic book the fat bastard <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's real caring employer stuff isn't it is it the fat one it's the fucking fat one, actually, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speak, uh, he, he, he says as well um, to Henry Wu, who's trying to help him try to un- unpick what's happened to the system, Arnold basically says, you know, we need Nedry to get this working again, especially in any, in any kind of quick, short time frame, because it's yeah. really hard to work out what on earth he's done. Yeah. Speaking of Nedry... The guy's lost. Of course he is. His simple three-minute drive to the docks <laughs> in the storm has gone all to pot. He nearly See, he didn't listen to Ian Malcolm, did he? If only he'd have listened to the maths, he would have known that a simple three-minute drive in a park full of dinosaurs <laughs> is never a simple three-minute drive. <laughs> no. Uh, he nearly ends up smashing into a massive concrete barrier, which is in the middle of the road on whichever wrong-turn road he's taken. Um, and he's like, crap, where the hell am I? He gets out... <laughs> to try and work out where on earth he is on the island. Wanders down to this river, thinks, great, it's the river. It's a massive river. I've no idea where I am on the river. And he he basically thinks, look, he's going to have to go back to the control room and fix it because he's been away too long. And 
uh, if he's away any longer, it's pretty obvious that he's making a run to do nefarious things in the park. If he just turns up now, it's still going to look bad, but maybe he can sort of, I don't know, do some damage <laughs> limitation. I don't know what his plan is what from is here. Walking back in, just being out stretching my legs. <laughs> just going to come back in here and sit down as if nothing's happened. Yeah. Because yeah. it hasn't. Because <laughs> it hasn't. Anyway, power's off, is it? Well, let me see what I can do about that. There you go. Tap, tap, tap. I'm a miracle worker. <laughs> Pay me. <laughs> yeah. It would be. I, I, I get the impression Ned would be the kind of guy who would enjoy walking back into sort of a chaotic, panicking control room and just going tap, tap, tap. What were you worried about? <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the uh, the programmer version of drops mic leaves room? <laughs> yeah. Just just like what does he do? Pick up the keyboard and just <laughs> slam it on the ground. <laughs> Take that. Yeah. Although I mean, if he thought his references were bad before this, just wait until Hammond gets through <laughs> with him now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at a certain point, you've got nothing to lose, have you? You might as well moonwalk around the place, showing everybody else up for the palpably underexperienced <laughs> tech dweebs they are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so Nedry makes his slow way back to the car, which becomes a very quick sprint back when he realises there's something chasing him. Um, he can hear something big moving around, uh, probably a big dinosaur, and it's just this sort of, in his head, there's these italics, get out of here, and he makes a run for it. And he gets to the car, and a Dilophosaurus is already there. One of these big ones that spit, and that's what it does. So it's standing quite a way away. It spits at him at first, and it sort of hits him on the chest, and then it spits at him again. It hits him on the neck, and he can feel it tingling like he's been touched with acid. And then the killer one, it gets him in the eyes as he just takes a look back to check it's not attacking as he's about to get in the car, and that sort of drives him to his knees with pain. And then he opens his eyes as he can hear the dinosaur getting closer. And he's blinded, and as he's sort of flailing around, he gets basically gets slit open, and ends up with his head in the dinosaur's jaws, just hoping he'll be dead soon. Um, <sighs> I mean, he's a he's a pretty reprehensible character, but that's I mean, no, can we can we all agree nobody deserves that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, absolutely. As as you've seen, I've discovered a certain amount of sympathy for Dennis Nedry uh, in in this little, even though of course he is a thief and a wanker. Um, but yeah, nobody deserves that. I tell you what, Michael Crichton knows how to write a death scene, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, not so bad. Deary me. And these these are obviously sprinkled throughout this whole series of books, or these two books. It's, it's yeah, really well written, really horrifyingly written. Mm. I actually, <laughs> this, is, this is fairly strange, but I don't know whether I've mentioned yet the first way that I encountered Jurassic Park. I talked about that? Uh, I'm not sure, go on. Well, so I wasn't, I was too young to see the film. Um, uh, so I didn't see the film, but there was this book selling club that came around my school occasionally with these massive crates full of books and you ordered the things you wanted. So I wanted to watch Jurassic Park, so I ordered the sort of, I ordered the kids' novelization because they wouldn't give me the proper one, they didn't have it. <laughs> All right. So, which is just like a word for word transcription of what happens in the film, basically. Yeah. Um, I've still got it somewhere at home, and um, and and this the description of this scene is horrifying because it's you know I mean, it's a book specifically written for seven year olds or whatever, yeah. but of course 
you know, we know that, you know, what you don't see is more scary than what you do see. And with a book, it's all what you don't see. It's all what you imagine in your mind. Yeah. And so, like, I'm seven years I've been allowed to go and see the movie, which might have traumatised me. But I was allowed to read the frigging book, which definitely did with the horrifying description of what it's like to have your optic nerve burned away by poison from before time. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, so, so this has always stuck in my mind as, as a particularly horrifying scene mm. and i have to say when i got to the adult version of the book uh he lived up to it yeah yeah it's basically the horrific chick kids version but with the guy ended up holding his own intestines in his hands as well so um yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just a little bit of extra spikes for you there um just when you <laughs> thought it couldn't get any worse <laughs> just in case yeah um we cut back from this scene of horrific violence to uh hammond's bungalow um, mm. where he's had Henry Wu round for dinner and seems to be blissfully in denial that anything is going particularly wrong with the island at the moment. Um, he says he says to Henry, because Wu's trying to like talk him into, you know, talking about some of the serious problems here now, and Hammond's like, I do have some fears about the park. And Wu's like, finally, right, go on. I'm feared I won't live to see the joy on the children's faces. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think there are bigger problems at the moment, John. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? it <laughs> Michael Crichton finds the wanker button and just turns it up to 11 for this, doesn't he? Because like, yeah. you, really, you really go through what Wu goes through with this. And, then, and you, so you feel the same slump that he feels when he's like, yeah. he's like yeah. I'm just really worried, worried that I won't have this amazing emotional experience which is what it's all about for me people I can I could probably if I listened carefully hear the screams of the people being killed by the dinosaurs that I failed to adequately control but it's all about me it's all about me (laughs) what the fuck what's the matter with you you crazy bastard yeah we also get some more depth of this character he um he talks about why he chose to make entertainment rather than something like a drug to cure a disease. And he mm. says, because if you, if you, for example, create a drug that cures some terrible disease uh, and then you want to sell it for £1,000, £2,000 a dose, which surely is your right because you created it, um, mm. you won't be able to because the governments will step in and make you sell it for an affordable price so everyone can have was- it. Those uh, bastards. And yeah, with it, their it, it, continuing concern for the well being <laughs> of the non hyper wealthy. Those motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> he, he basically says, you know, say you create a, a cure for a, one of the world's massive diseases and you say, you can have it for £2,000. People won't thank you. They'll be outraged. <laughs> <laughs> now, I am reminded, actually, of a, uh, a conversation that was related to me by uh, a mate who um, who's. Uh, he was on holiday with his girlfriend and her parents and um, uh, somewhere and the, you know they were kind of around one of the neighbours places they have a house into quite rich and this house of the neighbours was owned by a guy who owns some like massive chain of shops and um, and this guy was holding forth about 
um, about zero hours contracts and how I can't understand why anybody would object to them and, and they're the fairest way and, and all of this. Like, clearly the last time he had to worry about where the food was coming from was never. Mm. And, um, and it was, he, my mate, it was really interesting because he, he took up the argument, tried to do it politely, but he was like, oh, there are some people who disagree with you there. Mm. Um, and, um, and it was just really interesting having, having related even even at one degree of separation, this experience of encountering somebody who would literally say something like that, you know, sell it to yeah. them for $2,000. They won't thank you. They won't thank you. They'll get angry with you for making them spend one-sixth of the disposable income for the entire year on a single pill. I mean, what's, <laughs> wrong, what's wrong with them? What, what's, what's wrong with them? And I, I just find it really interesting, this sort of, this view of the 1%, if you like, mm. of, uh, uh, particularly as John Hammond. Like I say, Michael Crichton clearly, when he reached this point in the book, went right. It's time for John Hammond to become a shit of a lot less sympathetic. <laughs> Up to eleven, there we go. Yeah, well, he's just this chapter is Hammond uh, just perfectly sort of painted as Mister Capitalism, red in tooth and claw, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. He yeah, is, he is the sort of Iron Rand, um, you know, <laughs> work for yourself and balls to anyone else. Just give, just give, just give me, just, me most, give me just give me the freedom to make money. That's all, you know, and be that, everything I. That's can all be. the world can ever demand of anybody. Yeah. I, that's just the most glorious image in the universe. Imagine Ayn Rand trying to be like cuddly. Like trying to be, trying to just care for the wonder on the kids' faces, as long as the kids' parents have a a net worth of greater than several million a year, obviously, because those are the only kids deserving. He says deserving that. of wonder. He says that, doesn't he? He says, "Yeah, uh, this will be a delight for the kids. Well, the rich kids, anyway." <laughs> <laughs> and he just couldn't care less. Just whatever, fine, bring it on. By the way, <laughs> m- massive difference to uh, film. Uh, John Hammond, who, if you remember, like in the in the film, Gennaro is saying, you know, we can charge whatever we want for this, and people will pay it. And Hammond's like, well, no, yeah, no, but no, this no. is for all the children in the world, not just the rich ones. And that is just yeah. it's completely the opposite of what he is in the book, isn't it? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, and of course that's because you can't at that stage in his career. You really can't get Richard Attenborough to play a bastard. You know, you, you get him to play somebody who's like so caught up in the wonder of his vision that it, it all goes wrong. Mm. But that is very different than having this guy be like, "Oh, why? Why would I care about that? Yeah, why would I care about that? Like, it's just making money is all I care about, and that's the only thing I'm supposed to care about." And so, so I am now left with the image of Anne Rand with a Santa hound trying to hand out gifts and act happy-go-lucky. <laughs> yeah, he's a much darker character, isn't he, in, in the book, Hammond. Um, there's yeah. also, it's interesting, he outlines his plans for Jurassic Park Europe and Jurassic Park Japan, which are apparently already in their initial stages of being built. And also, if you remember, do you remember when we were with Biosyn and they were all freaking out about how much money um, yeah. just that InGen were going to make from pets? He's, yeah. he, he says here, I know Dogson's worried about me creating pets but I, you know i see no need to do it we're going to make so much money anyway at least 20 billion a year <laughs> <What's the point? laughs> i i actually really really enjoyed that bit because first of all it does show that he's a bastard but he's a very he's the best bastard in the business he knows what josh <laughs> yeah. is thinking right um but <laughs> i also quite like the fact that he's like he he's just has this whole like you know we're already conquering the world approach 
to this sort of thing. And he hasn't even really proved his case. He hasn't proved that kids will experience wonder. Mm. And he hasn't proved, in fact, quite the opposite. The very first time he sends people out on a tour, shit hits the fan. Like, mm. So he hasn't proved his case at all, but he's already going, I think this is a model that we can successfully take to all the major markets. Mm-hmm. I'm missing an opportunity there, by the way, not to call it Euro Jurassic Park. Like... <laughs> Jurassic Euro Park? Euro, <laughs> Jurassic Park? That's what it would be. It would be Jurassic Park, wouldn't it? <laughs> I just imagine Jurassic Euro Park. I just imagine to, instead of the, the soaring strings, it's more sort of like a... That's amazing. No, it's, it's instead of the soaring strings and the... It's Kraftwerk. It's just... The dinosaurs are coming. <laughs> Can you resist them? <laughs> They're actually robots. <laughs> That's cooler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Jurassic Euro Park would, be, uh, <laughs> would have been amazing. It would have been a very different book. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah. So, we go, we switch back out again to the control room. Very quick scene with Arnold, um, still struggling, still no sign in Edry. They've sort of realised he can't be in the building now because they've turned the place upside down and there's no sign of him. Um, back out to the road with Harding and the Jeep. Uh, they've, they're delayed because a uh, big herd of apatosaurs, these massive long-necked giant dinosaurs are crossing the road so they're just sitting drumming the fingers in the dash I just love these little scenes with these guys as the shit's hitting the fan everywhere else and when you cut back to the jeep with Gennaro silent Gennaro, Ellie and uh, and Dr Harding they're just sort of drumming the fingers up. <laughs> <laughs> later on there are these like uh they see these these companies don't they wandering off and like hmm, shall we shall we go take a little detour and see what they're up to yeah why not they're, not yeah, really why not? they're just having a wonderful day in the park aren't they <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> should we get the picnic blanket out you know i've got a bottle of, bottle of red in the back you know really nice you know what i mean watch the storm eh? yeah no yeah. Oh, oh, a Tyrannosaurus. Oh. Yeah. Um, this, this, um, this lovely drive around the park is broken as John Arnold finally gets through to them on the radio through like a crackly line. And he's like, get back, get back. We need you to come back. And Harding's like, what, what's they so worried about? And he's going, we need the Jeep. We need the Jeep. And he's going, no, tell him, tell him to take the other Jeep. And they go, John, John, tell Muldoon to take the other Jeep. And they, Crazy bastards, get back here! <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? And I like that they that they particularly put Ellie in that scene as somebody who's quite good at translating, you know, radio. Yeah. Real bodge job as well. Like, Ellie, as it turned out, was always very good at that sort of thing, for reasons previously not explained. Yeah. Um, but then, But even she doesn't get it. And then at the end of the scene, they're like, should we go back? It sounds a bit agitated. Yeah, all right, yeah, let's go back. I suppose not really a dramatic kind of, my God, he's right. It's just, uh, yeah, all right, I suppose. Eh? It's raining anyway, isn't it? Let's go back. Yeah. Because Harding says, doesn't he, oh, yeah, Arnold's always been a bit of a worrier. It seems that, you know, he flies off the handle at, like, little things. So, you know, it's, there's, I think there's probably an element of the boy who cried wolf because Arnold probably is the kind of guy who... You know, when the auto poop system isn't working again, gets himself worked up into a cinnamon, similar level of rage. So, uh, <laughs> so they're like, oh, 
Yeah, I wonder what's happened this time. Um, but yeah. Time for some good news. Goodish news. No, it, good news. Is there? Surely not, Matt. We're, we're halfway through a techno thriller. Good <laughs> news isn't when this comes. Well, it, good news in the form of an 11 year old boy still alive. I mean, I'll take everything we can get at this stage. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. Take the positives. <laughs> but this is Tim, sort of, comes, comes round from unconsciousness, in, still inside the Land Cruiser. Um, but the Land Cruiser is inside the tree, which is sort of 20 feet off the ground. <laughs> and there's this great, there's this great bit where I mean he, he it's this, it's this very sort of frantic, panicked dash down the tree, trying to keep ahead of the the car which is going to come crashing down on his head. It's, it's the scene that's that's in the film, but Grant's in it as well. Um, mm. But in this, it's just Tim, um, basically constantly just going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, as <laughs> he's trying to get down. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really Always nice. lovely to see somebody losing it a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Stegosaurus wanders back to see what all the fuss is about, and uh, <laughs> Tim throws rocks at it till it runs till it wanders away. <laughs> yeah, I'm not certain you want to get into a fight with a Stegosaurus, though, right? Because because when it when it turns to leave, that's only the start of your problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but the, the, he does. He's in no mood to see the Stegosaurus. He throws a few rocks at it, and it wanders away. Um, and he climbs back up to the road, and sees Lexi's baseball cap on the ground, and hears some whimpering. And at this point, I was think when I was first read it, I was thinking, "Oh, what what state is she going to be in?" Because I couldn't imagine any way that she hasn't sort of had some horrific injury at this stage. And once again, I think we only have George Martin to blame for the fact that we're approaching this that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have a very quick bit back in the control room where Muldoon's passing out emergency radios and he's like, take one of these. These are the emergency radios. Of course, no one had plugged them in, so you've got to charge it first. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, though, haven't we? That are like, right, big day planned. Let's go. Let's. Oh, my phone's out of battery. Yeah. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Yeah, uh, then we just enter the lab for a bit where Henry Wu has gone and he is, as Grant advised, he's now having a look to see what sort of which animals uh, include frog DNA in the makeup in the park. And it just so happens that all four of the ones that are breeding have frog DNA. So there is a link there, but he's not quite sure what. Science, eh? Mm. Also, he notices there's been a massive spike in the freezer temperature. Um in the embryo bit, which suggests someone's been him, but um, he doesn't sort of, he gets distracted by this revelation about the frog DNA, so he doesn't do anything more about that at this stage. <laughs> Somebody seems to have stolen these incredibly valuable, oh hang on, there's a science problem here, I'll solve that first. <laughs> uh, we're back with Lex. Uh, it turns out both Lex and Grant have survived, because Tim finds Lex in this Sort of heart, this little sort of was it like a pipe that she's crawled into, not a scratch on yeah. it. She's well, she's she's got the scratch. She's got the oh, bloody head. She, game day player, that girl. Yeah. Game yeah. day plays, throws a basket, throws a basketball, a baseball better than most Wall Street lawyers. <laughs> Survives Tyrannosaur attacks. Can't pronounce the word animal, but she's only nine, so yeah. you know, not bad. Yeah, um, I like, I love this little exchange with Tim and her, um, where yeah, she says aminals because she's sort of just massively stressed out and um, and he's got to try and sort of coax her back out of the pipe 
where, to be honest, she's in pretty much the safest place to be, it seems, at the moment there. I'm not surprised she doesn't mm. want to come out yet. She just survived a Rex attack. I tell you what, actually, I was quite... When I read this again, I was quite struck by how dark this is. Hmm. You know, like this bit where she's just in there banging her head against the wall because she's so scared. Hmm. I thought, you know, that that was a little bit girl interrupted. Do you know what I mean? That was hmm. that was quite striking and, and disturbing as well. Yeah. Um. Okay, it's great. I mean, we can all agree that it's great that Lexa survived this. Um. Is it believable, bearing in mind that she was screaming on the floor and the Tyrannosaurs over over her and bends down, and the screaming stops and she survived it? Um, no. But do I sense we're about to to <laughs> veer into the world of the fan theory? No, no, is no, it, no. no. I just, is there I just is there a fan theory here from the, from the same school of narrative genius that gave us Varys's and Mermaid? <laughs> Um, Which to, is 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 it is is this like in Jurassic World? Is she somehow in cahoots with the dinosaur? <laughs> there is a theory, but um, I mean it's a lot simpler than that, and it makes a little bit more sense. But I think we'll come to it when we meet Malcolm again later on. So I'll, I'll just we'll just put a pin in that there. But remind me when we get to Malcolm again. All right, okay, excellent. But anyway, uh, so <clears throat> we've got Tim and Lex there, and yeah, Grant survived because. Lex says she's seen him walking around and then she shouts for him and he, he appears and comes and meets him. Mm. Meanwhile, Ed Regis is uh, is, <laughs> is crammed in a little rock, in between a couple of rocks, like a rat, feeling rather ashamed at his actions. Uh, Understandably there, I think. Yeah. Like, literally the first time he thought he was in trouble, he bolted and left two children alone to face <laughs> a terrifying predator. Yeah. To slow hand clap there, Ed. Slow hand. <laughs> Tell you what, go back to singing White Soul. Go on. <laughs> yeah, Ed also um wonders, I mean and this is a this is something to to bear in mind seeing as he's just left those two kids there. He thinks they're probably both dead now. And then he thinks, I wonder what Hammond's going to say when I turn up without his kids. <laughs> Probably won't go well for him. Um, that, that might lead into the fact that he, he hears Lex shouting for Dr. Grant. And he decides, you know, I've got to get back in the game here and take charge. Oh, actually, just after we, we... <laughs> I love that. I love that. Do it. Shame drives him to an even stupider assessment of his own ability to run things. He's like, "Man, I've just been a complete wanker." Moment of clarity. I need to get back in the game and start telling people what to do. That's what'll make this situation better. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We also met, almost missed. Um, he, he has this sudden horrific realisation that he's covered in leeches and one's in his mouth, isn't it? That's really grim. It is, yeah. How do you miss that? Oh, I seem to have a fat lip here. It seems to be sort of pulsing with my bloodstream. I, I can't feel it. I, oh, oh, it's a leech. How did that get there? What? <laughs> oh, no, I thought that was entirely believable. When you have this kind of blind panic, it's like when the adrenaline's going, you don't feel stuff, do you? <laughs> And yeah, but in his mouth, what's he done? Done like a backflip and forgotten about it? Scraped his face along the floor for a little bit out of <laughs> sheer terror? Like, what's happened there? Yeah, good point, yeah. But I can imagine how he thought of, he assumes his lip's swollen. He must have banged it, and then he's like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> I think we should have known. Um, but yeah, he decides to go up to, to find the kids now, or Lex, or whoever else has survived. 
and be the hero, gets halfway up the hill and she stops shouting and he has a crisis of confidence and decides, actually, I'm a little bit closer to the visitor centre here and getting back, I'm just going to walk, but I'm just going to go home, I'm just going to go back to the back to safety. So he just heads <laughs> off down the road instead. Uh, and pretty much seals his fate, as we'll find out. And it's this uh, rank cowardice that basically does for him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to shed very many tears. Yeah, so we're back up at the top of the hill, and uh, Grant and the two is trying to work out what to do next with these two kids. And Tim says, why don't we just sort of walk back, basically do what Ed Regis is doing. And Grant's like, no, you don't want to use the road because there are high fences on either side. You get trapped if there's an animal in there. Mm. Um, and right at that moment, they hear a man coughing from down down in the bottom of the hill. So yeah. they run over to take a look. It's quite funny, this. Grant says, stay here, and runs over to take a look. And then Tim says, stay here, and runs over to take a look. And then Lex is like, don't leave me, and runs over. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic, classic, isn't it? Classic screwball comedy. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they look down the hill, and Ed Regis is hiding behind a tree uh, as the juvenile Tyrannosaur, the little one, the one that's a mere mm. 10 feet high. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Difficult, isn't it, to be scared of something called juvenile until it's described for you in horrifying detail. <laughs> Just basically a T-Rex that's small enough to get inside rooms with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it's, like, it's walking down the road, so they... Uh, Obviously, they hide as well. And it walks past where Ed Regis is hiding mm. and goes straight past as if it hasn't seen him. So he sneaks back out to look down the road to see where it's gone. And it's obviously doubled back and hidden in the side of the road and it jumps out and attacks him. Clever and, girl. Yeah, it is a bit of that. Sorry. But it's, just, <laughs> it's this weird thing where it's obviously still a sort of like, obviously, a very young dinosaur, even though it's so big. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it actually plays with him a bit. It knocks him down oh, a couple of times, horrible, and he's sort of, yeah, he's shouting and trying to make it back. There's this bit actually where it's pinned him to the floor. He's banging on its head with his hands, and it's just the sheer. That was oh god, that that is just horrific, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a very. It's a horrifying idea. I, I I do quite like though that there's some mad bit of Ed Regis's mind which is still like kind of I am the alpha male here. <laughs> I am going to shout down this dinosaur which is currently standing on top of me. I'm in charge. Woo! <laughs> when he clearly is not. Yeah. Uh, they the the Tyrannosaur finally gets gets tired of playing with him and it kill it starts to eat him alive. Basically, he starts mm. screaming and Grant and the kids make a run for it. Uh, so that's an, another one, another one down, another one down, another one down, and another one. Matt bites the mud. Yeah, and a Tyrannosaur attack on the main road. Um, not a not a toilet to be seen, unfortunately, in the book version. It's sad, isn't it? Really, <laughs> it's. I mean, if, if there's one thing you could say, this dinosaur attack was missing. It was a toilet. <laughs> and the line when you've got to go you've got to go actually how did they pitch that to Michael Crichton Mikey babe love your work <laughs> love the book great scene dinosaurs oh man the T-Rex attack gosh but I feel like it's missing some laughs, <laughs> yeah yeah do you know this <laughs> you know this guy this lawyer guy who got Pervin on the uh, Pervin on the paleobotanist how would you feel about him getting eaten on the toilet instead? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not keen. 
Well, why, why is that? Why is that? Any 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 reason? Oh, detracts from the tone. <laughs> Bang wrong there, Mikey baby, aren't you? Uh, yeah, but it's obvious that it's in some ways that Ed Regis has taken taken the place of sort of film Gennaro there, hasn't he? And getting killed by a Tyrannosaur, albeit a different one. Um, mm-hmm. Back to the control room, and uh, Harding is uh oh no this this is the crazy bastards bit so um i actually misread this so this is the point where um harding actually realizes that john arnold's trying to get them back to come come back to the uh to the lodge so then they head back they actually very nearly get as far as nedry's car as well the other jeep they can see the headlights and then at the last minute they obviously realize how urgent it is to get back and they leave it there so um so that's for another time i suppose that's a bit weird, though. I mean, if you need to get back somewhere, then, like, surely... I mean, if that's because there's danger knocking about, then mm. surely there's somebody over there they should probably be told about the danger. Yeah, I don't. I think I think the, the Arnold shout, screaming, you crazy bastards, down the line, suggests that it is get back here under no circumstances to do anything else other than just get back here that is the number one priority because <laughs> he doesn't because because the radio transmission is so bad i suppose there's no yeah. knowing why they've got to get back it could be because it's dangerous here it could be because they desperately need the car it could be for they may desperately need the vet who knows um so it's just get back as soon as you can um yeah. <laughs> We we get back we go into the control room again and Hammond is just he's now there, just just basically bawling at Arnold. He's shouting all kinds of threats at him, telling him he better get the park working again. And Arnold's like, "This is the last thing I need. Just let him concentrate." <laughs> I I quite like the way he makes that argument very calmly in his head. He's like, "The computer doesn't care whether you yell at it, but I do, and I need to work the computer. So yeah, knock it off." I although I do quite like the way that like. That he's just like, he like he just absolutely slams the door on Hammond at the end of this. You've got Hammond throwing an absolute nutty, like stamping <laughs> around. I love the line of it, screaming and stamping his little feet. He's been <laughs> yeah. carrying on this way for the last two minutes, like crying, <laughs> just filled with contempt. And then, and then Arnold goes through this whole thing in his head about how stupid a management technique this is, and he's absolutely right. But then he just says, it just with absolutely no preamble at all, it just presumably right in the middle of Hammond's complete shit fit, just goes, <laughs> why don't you go downstairs to the cafeteria and get a cup of coffee? We'll call you when we've got more news. Just don't call us, we'll call you. Get the fuck out of this room. I do quite like, it's a very passive way of like, and it's very, I think, very realistic to a certain kind of person who kind of, yeah. like, can't be bothered with dealing with the emotional logic of somebody being a wanker and is just like, just fuck off. Just just go. Just yeah. Functionally, the best place for you to be is elsewhere. So, you know. <laughs> Hammond's parting shot is we don't want to have a Malcolm effect here. And we don't find out what that is, but I'm quite intrigued to find out what the Malcolm effect is. So am I, and I have to say, it doesn't really work terribly well as a cliffhanger, does it? Like, (laughs) I don't want a Malcolm effect here, because you're supposed to... A cliffhanger's supposed to give you a glimpse of what you're about to suffer. Yeah. I have no idea what a Malcolm effect is. Malcolm effect being picked up by a Tyrannosaurus Rex and probably killed, because that (laughs) that looks to me like what's happened with Malcolm so far. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Um, oh, also, we find out that Arnold is now going to have to go into the line by line code of the system to work out what's gone wrong. So it's basically like going back to MS DOS instead of uh, instead of <laughs> Windows. So that, that's never a good thing. I think later on as well, when Gennaro comes back. He says he doesn't know a great deal about computers, but when you see the engineers going into the line-by-line code, you know it's a pretty big problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we go back out to the road where um, this is... So the Harding has returned with the Jeep now. Muldoon's run out, jumped in it with Gennaro, and away they go. Um, they're driving fast down this road over to the Land, Cruis- over to the Land Cruisers. They make a pit stop because Gennaro notices a flash of white in the undergrowth. And it turns out to be Ed Regis's severed leg. Um, and Yeah. Abs- hor- oh, and this is the Gennaro coping technique you mentioned. He's told to go get a tarp to wrap it in because Muldoon yeah. thinks we best take it back. And uh, that's the problem that he decides to try to solve to help him deal with it after nearly throwing up. Yeah, it's a very lawyer thing to do, isn't it? Get real focused on the process and getting the process right and everything else will just sort of handle itself. Yeah. Uh, they find the overturned Land Cruiser and the other one at the base of a tree. So it's obvious the Rex has got out and attacked them. It doesn't look good at all. Um, it's interesting. They're not expecting to find any remains because Muldoon's time in Africa apparently has come to expect that when there's an animal attack, it doesn't tend to leave much behind. Um, yeah. But a couple of like little CSI style clues come up here. One of the most, one of the best I thought was Muldoon finds um, Tim's watch, which Tim took off after the attack because it was broken, and he mm. can piece together from that that Tim must have survived the attack because, you know, um, Gennaro says, well, he could have taken it off before. He's like, well, no, he'd only take it off when it was broken. It's hard to break these kind of things, and he says, well, maybe he did it in the you know at another time. And Muldoon's yeah. like, well, could, and if you're in the middle of a Tyrannosaurus attack, are you going to stop to take your watch off? <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it's, and I love, I love this scene for both for that, just for the image of Tim being like, you know, massive Tyrannosaurus, and he's like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> it's sort of a James Bond move, isn't it? Just like carefully taking off your watch and putting it to the side, shooting yeah. your cuffs before getting into it with the bad guy. Um, mm. <laughs> of course he hasn't done so what I actually like about this is the idea of Muldoon as a sort of like, like it's exactly what you say it's CSI but from somebody who's learned all of his skills from looking at what it's like when lions attack people mm. and I feel like there's mileage in that I feel like there could be a kind of historical TV series <laughs> like like solving murders performed in 18th, uh, 18th or 19th century Kenya you know what I mean? Just mm. <laughs> like I have seen this before. This doesn't. This isn't what it looks like when a lion mauls somebody. This is a murder committed by the governor. You know, that, that'd be great. I, I, I imagine Muldoon in that kind of role. Yeah, there's a, this like you mentioned before about all these characters slipping back into what they're comfortable with and, and know they can do when they're trying to deal with the crisis as well. Muldoon's obviously doing what he does now because he's a he's an expert tracker and hunter and all this, so he's doing the piecing together of this sort of stuff. Gennaro's thinking about how he's now determined to close the park down. He says, you know, mm. this it's obvious, you know, it doesn't matter what excuses that Hammond will try and come up with, he's gonna have to do everything once he gets off this island, if he survives, he's gotta do everything he can to shut the place down. Um mm. they they find Malcolm by the side of the road. He's sort of been thrown 
obviously he was thrown by the wrecks and mm. he's he's lying injured and he's managed to put a tourniquet on so he's got his belt and just sort of pulled it really tight to stem the bleeding in his leg because his leg's an absolute mess mm. and they decide to sort of get him in the car and take him back to try and get him some kind of help uh, they're going to have to leave all the other people because they're either dead or lost Muldoon seems to think that at least one, maybe two of the kids have survived and one of the adults as long as it wasn't Ed Regis who's obviously dead um, yeah. and they head him back and Gennaro's like what's Hammond going to say when you tell him we've not got his kids and Muldoon just says you're going to tell him <laughs> <laughs> and that there is the final secret to um, to, <laughs> to being the kind of badass who survives uh, survives animal attacks out in the wild when you know you're going to have to go head to head with a with a really dangerous animal, don't be there. <laughs> yeah, he's in he's in such a bind, Gennaro, because he obviously the last thing he wants to do is tell this crazy, angry capitalist man, uh, megalomaniac man, that he's that his grandkids are missing. But at the same time, Muldoon's not the kind of guy you can say no to or have the argument <laughs> about with. <laughs> so he's a bit stuck. Uh, we go yeah. back to control, and this is the this is the moment. Gennaro's back now, and he's telling Hammond the news, and Hammond is almost chillingly relaxed about it. And we find oh, out awful, why by the end of this paragraph, and it's kind of because he's so ruthless. Hammond, he's more concerned about sort of damage control with Gennaro than about his grandkids. So he's saying. Oh, I'm sure it'll be all right. Muldoon says they're they're with Grants. So they'll they'll be fine. He'll get them back. And it's so he's because he's trying to do damage control and convince Gennaro that the park isn't isn't dangerous. Still, <laughs> so he's just at the expense. Not even he doesn't seem to bat an eyelid about his grandkids, or at least doesn't let it show. Yeah, and what do you reckon? Is he being a genuine psycho here, or is he? Or is he just, you know, keeping it locked down because that's what you do. You keep stuff locked down and that's the same as being in control or at least feels roughly similar. Hmm. It's probably a bit of both. I think at the heart of it, though, is he's been spent the last 10 years working to create this thing that's going to, you know, his his historical moment that he'll go into the history books for. And the number one priority is getting over the line now. He's come so far. He's got to open this park and if it means, you know, pretending not to be worried about his kids, his grandkids, yeah, then that's something he's just going to have to do. Yeah, fine. Fine. <laughs> you know, I, oh, I, this is really chilling stuff. And again, really interesting development of the Hammond character. It really takes him in this kind of, I mean, for me, a psychotic direction, really. Hmm. You know, you know, kind of... Um, bad management raised to the level of psychosis mm. you know the dinosaurs are out people are clearly being killed everything's going wrong fine fine not a problem i'm, <laughs> I'm in control because because what you know the story is what you say it is not mm. what's actually happening yeah and that's a very interesting you know that's been that's been a kind of really really bad misappropriation of kind of postmodernism post-structuralism mm by managers who just want another excuse to manage poorly mm. for a few for a couple of decades now and I just find it really interesting that anybody can be that intelligent and that stupid at the same time. Mm. 
Uh, we're back with uh, with the control room with the people still desperately trying to put things right. It's basically Henry Wu and uh, John Arnold, isn't it, uh, trying to work on this problem. Wu's idea is to uh, there's a there's a key check system, which mm. um, which is a sort of security system to to show what everyone's been doing in the system. So mm. they they run a check on that and they can see what Nedry did. Um, his pass Nedry's password was Mister Goodbytes, by the way. I thought it was quite good. Um, but yeah, he's. I love this sort of paper trail which Nedry's left, where he sort of spent about an hour just looking around the system to try and check that everything's as he'd set it up, <laughs> and then he and then he goes into the background, tries to turn off the key check to hide his tracks, but doesn't realise that you can't do that. And one <clears throat> once once he realises that, he thinks I've just got to go all in anyway, and he hits this white rabbit object command which mm. um is the thing that has sort of brought all the fences down and all the security down yeah um, and yeah. i don't know about you but at this point i can hear samuel L. jackson going whatever it did it did it all <laughs> it's like yes brilliant masterpiece of scripting that i had no idea what computers really how they worked or anything back then but i knew <laughs> i knew what he was talking about <laughs> yeah Gold. i like did you buy here, by the way, the idea that he tries to turn off all the security systems, but he can't because there's actually physical switches for them somewhere? Because to me, that's amazing. That's like having a switch somewhere in your house that allows you to turn off your virus checker. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, it's on a separate box. What? That's how technology works, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me wonder whether they were really as comfortable with Nedry being in control of everything then as, the, as sort of it was made out. Whether a few question marks had come up about just how much power one guy had over the system here, that yeah. they at least installed some way of not being able to remotely turn off things like that. Yeah, but then not told him about it and made him solely responsible for the appropriate functioning of the entire system. Yeah, does that not, does that not, mark. Does that not make absolute <laughs> sense? So if you don't trust him, have a couple of well, things. Well, um, yeah, are... but if you don't trust him, don't hire him. Do you know what I mean? And if you don't trust him. And yeah, you do hire him, at the very least, make it something that, you know, like, give him longer, you know, make it make it a situation where he's likely at least to feel vaguely happy. Yeah, you've got to hire someone, though, haven't you? And I th- I think it's because they, I, I just, it feels a bit like it's it's just a little check and balance on whoever is in charge, so they can always see what someone else has done. And they just, the mistake they've made is they haven't realised that on a more macro level, when he built the entire system... He's left himself a trapdoor, so whatever they yeah. sort of uh, retrofit into it to make sure that they can keep tabs on him. If that maybe it's only just occurred to them after he started to build it, <laughs> but I suppose because when it's all sunshine and rainbows at the start and they're all working together, it's fine. But maybe when he starts to get all sort of belligerent because he feels he's been treated badly, they've retrofitted a couple of things in, but they just <laughs> haven't done a good enough job, and this yeah. is what's happened. Yeah, I mean, that's true, isn't it? I mean, I can't remember if it's here or if it's a little bit later on, but it says that there's no documentation of most of the code. Mm. And that's, like, in this day and age, so obviously this is from a different age, but I can't believe there was ever really a time where anybody you you hired to make a computer system wouldn't document what it did. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Like the very yeah, you're gonna come in, you're gonna do it for us, right? Yeah, 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 and you're gonna tell us what it, how it works, so you know we own it properly, and you're not just some wizard that we need to hire again to fix it. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no. The, the, we're a very wizard focused software company here. You know, you must hire us in order to actually make it function properly. Yeah, <laughs> completely insane. <laughs> yeah. So this gives them the problem that they they still don't know how, they, they they now know how he did it. But they don't still don't know how to fix it, and um, Wu also realizes now that maybe he was the guy who went in the embryo refrigerator. So he goes in, to t- goes off to take a look at that. There's also this very quick bit where Muldoon turns up at the lodge to tell Ellie that Grant and the kids are missing, and mm. I quite like this just for the fact that um, he he's carrying the severed leg of Ed Regis in the dark. Just- just around him, just like like the uh, like the manager from This Is Spinal Tap who wanders around with a cricket bat the entire time, but instead he's got the severed leg of a publicist. I love the fact that he knocks on the door and tells her the kids are missing. She's like, right, okay, and then she says, "What's that?" And he just goes, "Nothing." Because you imagine him like just putting it behind his back, going, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." As blood softly drips from one end of the poorly wrapped. Tarpaulin. What's that? Oh, it's nothing. And at that point, actually, do they know there's been dinosaur attacks? Is this just this guy who's always seemed a bit unhinged, and I think later in the book shows himself to probably be an alcoholic, walking in with somebody's severed leg? And at that point, are you not just like, did we do a background check on this fella? (laughs) Because we have given him all of the rocket launchers. That happened. (laughs) Yeah, it is strange that he brings the leg back, but he says at the time, doesn't he? Yeah, it just kind of doesn't feel right to leave it out here. It's a little bit sentimental for a guy who likes a big game hunter, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, slightly strange. But I just love the idea of him being the sort of guy who can nonchalantly carry off carrying around a fucking (laughs) severed leg. What? (laughs) Yeah, he he is totally that guy, though, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, very much, yeah. We go to In the Park... And this is uh, Alan Al, Grant and the, the the two kids. They're still in the they're in the Tyrannosaur paddock, and obviously it's not a place they want to be. So they're desperate trying to hike out there as quickly as they can. Um, <clears throat> they're also looking for a place to stay for the night because it's darkness is closing in now, and they need to find somewhere to rest. In the mm. film, they rest up a tree, but um, yeah. Grant decides not to do that here because. You know, it's not Hollywood, and practically someone will fall out and die. <laughs> so they can't do that. <laughs> I did always wonder about that in the film. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to actually get comfy whilst up a tree. Unlikely. Even before you add a Patasaurus mucus to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sputum of a massive dinosaur <laughs> to your experience of trying to get to sleep in a tree. Probably doesn't help. Yeah. So there's a nice chat between... Uh, Alan and uh, and Tim. Uh, Tim sort of opens up to him a bit, tells him about his mum and dad getting a divorce and all this. There's a bit of sharing time, actually, because he asks us, Alan about, you know, are you and Ellie getting together? And he sort of smiles and it's like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is obviously very different from the film. And um, and he's like, yeah, no, she's marrying this, this other guy. And he says, I don't think I'm going to marry anybody. And Tim's like, yeah, me too. And it's quite quite sweet that there's this like little kid just said, yeah, I'm, I'm the same, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is, and this is in the book as in the film. Quite a nice moment. Mm. It's a lot 
more sickly sweet in the film than in the book, but it's still nice. Yeah. I've got to admit, when I read it, when I was, uh, the first time I read it when I was a child, I forced myself to try and forget that because I just wanted to imagine that those two was like Grant and Ellie were together so I was like no 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 in, no, no it's not, in, it's not. in, in my version of the book there's still, <laughs> there's still. <laughs> I love I love that that your major change you wanted to make to this dinosaur adventure romp was to up the romance yeah That's, it was it's I, weird interesting though, isn't it? choice yeah although actually now you mention it I was largely the same I read the bits where it's like oh she's getting married to some doctor next year just reading that and going, yeah, but that's not true, is it? Because <laughs> in the film they have conversations like, you know, you want to have one of these, you know, all of that. They're together. They're together. <laughs> yeah. So um, we do have a bit of tree climbing, but it's just Grant on his own, and he climbs up to see, if, you know, what's around. And eventually, long story short and all that, they <clears throat> go to this – they basically take shelter in this uh, – in this storage shed, which seems to be sort of a feeding shed, like a feed storage shed, after yeah. quickly climbing over one of the fences to get out of the Tyrannosaur paddock and into the uh, Apatosaur, I think, or the Sauropod paddock. Um, mm. uh, th- that's a very undramatic moment, by the way, compared to the film. Um, they <laughs> climb the fence yeah. and there's no trouble, whereas, obviously, the film's very different. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I quite like how they actually genuinely find a realistic... Uh, place to sleep in the book and it just adds a bit more texture. To, I, I like like the appearance of things like this storage shed and stuff that he's not forgotten about Michael Crichton's not forgotten about how the park's supposed to be running and it still feels, there's these touches of realisticness about it mm, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, we go back to the control room just as Arnold shouts out got you, you little son of a bitch because he thinks he, <laughs> he's found the, the bit of code that, that resets everything. It turns out when you write this thing in, finny.obj, it not only brings everything back online, but it erases what he's done as well. Um, so it's pretty sly. So it was how Nedra was going to cover his tracks. And it seems to work. All the power comes back on. Results. Results. Sure, nothing else can go wrong now. Bing, Surely, bing, 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 bing. I mean... Yeah, <laughs> everything's coming up roses. <laughs> three sevens, um, yeah, three sevens right there. It's all grapefruits from here on out. No, <laughs> um, uh, well, I, yeah, and I love that we know because we have like a third of a book left that that's probably not the end of the drama. Hmm. Um, but I, I do love that you know while it's easy to mock that conclusion, everybody in the control room. Arnold especially goes back to, oh, yeah, it was all all right. Oh, I always knew it was going to be all right. No problem there. It's all all right. Not a problem. It's all good. It's all good. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, I think hubris floods back in the, <laughs> in the guise of relief here a little bit sooner yeah. than it should do. Yeah. I mean, fair play to Arnold. He's, he's, he's got it back online, which in the, in the film never happens. They, they just can't fix it. And he That's does true. The, he, he he sort of gets the job done here, doesn't he? He's obviously a very talented engineer to manage to sort of, I don't know, uh, what, what what do they call it when you um, like like reverse engineer this massive bring <laughs> like bring down of the system? He's managed to get out of it. So yeah, I, it is it was, yeah fairly impressive. Although he does not he does not utter the line "Hold on to your butts." <laughs> no, and I have not. to tell you, I think that's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Grant sort of wakes up just as the lights come back on and thinks, 
shit, the power's back on, great. I best go and wave in front of those motion sensors so we can get picked up and brought to safety and promptly falls asleep again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that, both because you're kind of like, oh, attention, oh, no, oh, the raptors are getting closer to the mainland, but also because you've been there, haven't you? Really. <laughs> oh, it's really important that I do that now. Oh, it's good that I'll do that now. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> and you just fall asleep again, and then it's all gone to shit the next time you wake up. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. Um, there are... Uh, back in the control room, they, they've realised there are three fences that have shorted out. One which has obviously been trampled down by a tyrannosaur and two others. Uh, there are five animals to round up, so they're going to have to go and sort that out. And there are no sign of the kids and Dr Grant just yet, but they think they'll probably asleep somewhere and they'll they'll turn up later on. Uh, so, you're There's right. There's quite Some... a lot of broad strokes, oh, it'll be REIT stuff there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, I, I, I think that the stuff about the kids and Grant are... Yeah, um, they've taken a big assumption there that no one's been eaten. Um, but, <laughs> but the things with like the fences and the animals, they're, they're big jobs, but they're kind of controllable. You know, they're a far cry from shit. Everything's got all the powers gone off. <laughs> we can't get any. All the dinosaurs are going to get out. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so that's the that's sort of the the, the next the, the next stage will be recovering the park. Now it seems uh, we also see. Piece yeah. of piss. We also go back to the lodge for the last part of today's uh, read through, which is the magical combination. It's uh, it's sort of up there with toast and butter. Uh, Ian Malcolm and Morphine have combined to create the greatest character of all time. <laughs> <laughs> He's very well written, isn't he? Like he yeah. manages, to, he, he he expresses really well what the Malcolm character would be like if he was. Smacked off his tits as well. Yeah, and, and very effectively. You're right. It's genius. I could just I could watch this all day. <laughs> he rather matter of factly remembers the tyrannosaur attack. He remembers being picked up in its jaws. He's got these scars where the teeth marks all around his sort of abdomen, um, where yeah. the dinosaur picked him up and then threw him. And he said the problem was when I landed, I broke my leg. Otherwise, I'd have been fine. And he says he. <laughs> He says he feels he didn't have the Rex's full attention. <laughs> Such a good line, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I like that he kind of talks you through the process where he was like, and then he picked me up in his jaws, shook me about a bit, and I was basically fine then still. And then I fell on my leg and broke it. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, I quite like that his, like... I feel like this is an event that really humanises Malcolm. Up to this point, he's been the kind of, like, barking in the film, literally barking, um like you know deplorable excessive personality rock star mathematician yeah but then this this makes him kind of connect his own experience to the humility that he's been demanding everybody else display yeah and he does he actually totally learns the lesson and and becomes this really sort of like sad to say you know he kind of mocks his own self-importance he's like i'm sorry to say i didn't really have his full attention but then i don't weigh eight tons <laughs> yeah. it's really funny <laughs> Yeah, like he had mine. Yeah, <laughs> he exactly. had my full attention. <laughs> so good. Yeah, uh, this is the. I think this is the only tentative explanation we have here as well for what happened to Lex, uh, and to a lesser extent uh, Grant uh, and and Malcolm. In that the the Rex wasn't. He was just sort of stomping around for the hell of it, and he. <laughs> I think I think the point is he only that it only kills things and eats things when it's really hungry, 
and, yeah. you know, and and if it is hungry, <laughs> the rest of the time, it... <laughs> well, I was going to say if if it, if it is hungry, it goes for something a bit bigger as well. So it just didn't yeah, really yeah, yeah. about this these lot. That's amazing. I, I quite like the idea that it um, it sort of, when it's not hungry, it stomps around just indulging a somewhat robust <laughs> sense of physical humour. <laughs> Just, I'm not really hungry at all. Rah, chomp, throw, discard. But I can still shit you up. Rah, chomp, throw, discard. Because I'm a fucking Tyrannosaurus Rex. Rah! <laughs> I also have the idea of, like, if it was a human version, it'd be, like, stomping around, and there'd be these little, like, snacks, like some little crisps, so I'd go, oh, God, oh, God, look. A little snack. Ah, oh, no, I can't be bothered. Can't no, be bothered. Can't oh, I, can't, I can't believe that I survived. I said, oh no, he's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> they never think of the crisps, Matt, do they? They never think of the crisps. Yeah. So uh, Malcolm gives this rather surprisingly cheerful and matter-of-fact description of the T-Rex attack. Um, and Ellie's taking, like, takes Gennaro to one side and basically says, you know... Um, He's saying he's he's being got beat and stuff, but the guy is dying. His leg is festering, and he knows it. And yeah. we need to get him off the island. So once again, there's another ticking clock here. Um, mm. Malcolm needs some serious uh, healthcare, or he's going to die. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, right, and yeah. the other person they've got on the island is this doc. Is this vet? They've not got a they've not got a um, a fully qualified doctor either. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, a you human doctor. Wanna... A doctor for humans. A I'm trying. To, I'm humans. trying not to well offend said. vets here. <laughs> <laughs> vets everywhere. We love you. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I do quite like that idea though, because there's actually there's a there's a Terry Pratchett book in which the only trustworthy doctor that's to be found anywhere in the city is a vet, and and there's a particular character who needs to get treated. He's like, he came in and asked me for a sample of stool. So I gave him a chair, and he didn't seem to be too bothered by that. It's just this, just this sort of completely fantastic. If you had the choice of being treated by a vet, would you take it? Is that a serious question? <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> of course you would. Well, what is it a vet or nobody? Well, I, I mean that's true. A vet, a, a vet, or, your, or a homeopath? How about that? They know more about how sort of keeping things alive than most people, so I go go with that. That is true. (laughs) True. I hear horse medication can can really be an experience as well. So I don't know if Ian Malcolm's approach here might be he's looking for the upside. (laughs) That's 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 special K. Yeah, if it gets really bad, they could always just pump me full of horse tranquilizer and I don't care anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, Dave, it's the end of the, uh, the the part for this week. What a horrifying image. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum taking horse tranquilizers just to get away from the scent of his own gangrenous leg. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you get it all with shark liver oil, don't you? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, listen, if you're reading along with us for next week, I've got to give you the, uh, I've got to give you the page reference. Uh, it is reading as far as, uh, so obviously from the next chapter, which is uh, called The Park, The Generator Roared Into Life, something like that, as far as a chapter called The Grid by my 
calculation in my book it's round about page 332 but your book may be different because there are lots of different versions of this but the chapter begins here we are Tim was astonished yeah so, so he's still alive then unless we're unless we're in, unless the alert. White Walkers making unexpected <laughs> appearance yeah it could be a flashback he doesn't tend to do them does he but uh, no no he doesn't uh, so that is where we're going to for next week. Obviously, as ever, any feedback for us, send it to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. And until then, Dave, we're going up on for two hours, so we best uh, round this off pretty quick, Shark. <laughs> Fairly epic. <laughs> enjoy, uh, in- enjoy the readings for next week. Uh, things are maybe, maybe getting back online now. We've had the initial massive dip from the roller coaster. And we seem to be going back up again now. But there is a third well, of the book left. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not certain I share your confidence there, Matt, to be honest with you. <laughs> we shall find out how it goes uh, in part four of Charlotte Royal's read-through of Jurassic Park uh, coming next week. Till then, goodbye, Dave. Goodbye, Matt. Bye-bye. So dinosaurs are coming. Can you resist them? They're actually robots. That's cooler. <laughs>